So John taught us how to live a Christian life as we're walking in the light, as God is light. It's a wonderful, Dana had a wonderful, upbeat message introducing the first epistle of John. I must say, unfortunately, my friends, that it's not going to be that way today. Because as we go through 1 John, the author takes a decidedly different description of the world, and he gives words of warning to the Christian church in Ephesus, to whom he was writing. We preach the whole Bible here at Vineyard Christian Church. We preach the whole Word of God. We don't shy away from tough passages like today. I'm not saying this out of some sort of bravado that I I love to preach tough passages. And I'm not saying this because the material contained here today is... Has consequences, consequential doctrine. Uh, I am preaching some weighty material today just because I got picked to do it five, six months ago. And that's the way we do it. We go through the Bible verse by verse and we trust in the Bible to learn from it. We stay the course, we study what God has for us, and we drive on. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. I'm, I'm just so thankful that you wrote this for me and for us. Father, I pray that um, you would protect us as a congregation, as families, as a nation, Lord. Lord, that your love and your compassion Lord, would change hearts. I pray today your Holy Spirit would use the text to teach us so that we would learn about your word and learn how we should live. Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 15. It's up on the screen behind you. If you want to have a Bible in your hand, there are free Bibles on both of those bookshelves back there. That you can take home with you if you don't have a Bible. So let's read 1 John 2 and 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. 
I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So John brings up a familiar topic in much of his writings, that we are living in the last days. Several times in this passage today, John says that we are living in the last hour. There are a number of passages in Scripture that mention the end times or the last days. For the last 2,000 years, really, since the writing of the New Testament, mankind could have said those very words, that we are living in the last hours. And you know that is accurate. The time between when Jesus rose to heaven and the time when he will return are technically the last days. We will not know when the end times are coming. Even Jesus says that he doesn't know when the end times will appear. The Bible says that the Son of Man will come like a thief. The principle is that we don't know when he's coming again. We must be ready for salvation now. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says that now, today, is the day of salvation. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? Before we get into the, uh, dive into the scriptures and and eat on them a little bit. Uh, it has come to my attention as I was studying scripture in preparation for today that there are some topics here that may cause folks in this day and age to doubt their salvation. And I just want to bring up the point that if you're truly saved, if you have bent your knee to, to Jesus, if you have asked him into your heart as Savior and as Lord, you have no doubts. Look at Romans eight twenty eight. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So be assured that if you are truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. There is a struggle going on around us. Between the powers of good and evil, in this timeline created by God and set in motion by God, all around us in this physical world and in the spiritual world, there's a momentous struggle of two distinct kingdoms. If you read the newspaper or listen to the news, if you read Facebook or you have even a little bit of discernment, clearly you must see that there's a struggle going on. There's shootings and killings and wars and kidnappings. Corporate scandals, government overreach, strife. There's so much struggle going on. Here's some examples from recent times. You have no doubt heard that there are 300 plus schoolgirls, Christian schoolgirls, kidnapped by Islamists in southern Sudan, stolen from their school. Gone. Forced. To, they've, they've been on the, on the internet, forced to convert to Islam. Here's another example. That's, that's strife, wouldn't you say? Here's another example. This last week, two 12-year-old girls in Wisconsin confessed to stabbing another girl 19 times until she was dead. 12 years old. And these girls were encouraged to do this, got a little help from a website on the internet. Now, these weren't just anonymous killings. These two girls were the only two girls who were invited to her birthday party. 
and they, and they killed her. That's, that's a struggle. How about Syria? Tens of thousands of Syrian minorities, Muslims and Christians and Kurds and all sorts of folks are killing each other, dropping bombs of diesel fuel and chlorine gas on each other. That's strife. All these terrible things are going around us today. There's a struggle going on physically and spiritually. What John points out to his disciples is that there is good and evil. There are two teams out there. There's God's team and there's the devil's team. It's either the way of God's kingdom or it's the way of the world. Last week we learned how we as Christians are to be full of love because God is love. God is light. Here today we see in John verse 15, he challenges his pupils that we are not to love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world doesn't come from the Father, it comes from the world. As John says, sin comes from the world and can be placed into three distinct categories. Sin occurs through cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of man. Clearly, these categories of sin do not come from the Father. They come from the world. According to John 12, 31, I believe I put all these verses in your handout there. The age in which we live, the age between Jesus' first coming and his future second coming, this age is ruled by the prince of the air, Satan. And since the time of the fall of man, where the enemy deceived our forefathers, Adam and Eve, to break the relationship with God, with God, we as humans have lived in the world, in the fallen world, as beings in the world system. John warns the readers that even though we live in the world, we, are, we as Christians should not live of the world. We are not to love the temptations of the world. However enticing and satisfying perhaps for the short term the things of the world are. He says in verse 17 that the world and its desires will pass away. But that we as Christians, those who do the will of God, will live forever. He wants our view not to be in the here and now, but that our perspective must be on the eternal. The sin that comes from the world is nearsighted. It's now. It's not lasting. We as Christians, however, must think of eternal things. The most important thing of which we need to prepare for and think about while here on earth The most important thing that we have to do on earth is decide to decide where we intend to spend eternity. There is one choice to make. You can spend your time focusing on the enticements and the wickedness of the world, the fallen world. Or you can spend your time focusing on and investing in God's kingdom. So let me make it even clearer. All of us are on a spiritual journey. We're all going down this path, and up ahead we see a why. You have a choice to make. Do we go this way or do we go that way? So what choice do you make? Now, I keep saying choice because it's a choice. Do we go down that slippery slope into hell, or do we go up the, the hard slope into heaven? John continues in verse 18 with more warnings to his dear church. He says that we are in the last hour. He introduces us to the person and the category of the Antichrist. John is the only Bible author who uses the term Antichrist. It's a self-descriptive word. 
should be easy to understand, anti-Christ. He uses the terms in two ways, the term in two ways. In the first, he warns the faithful that in the end times, there will be a figure called the Antichrist. This person will be the top general of the devil's team who slippery slides his way up to worldwide domination and exploitation. The rise and fall of the Antichrist is well described in the book of Revelation, also written by the apostle John. That is the Antichrist. The other term, Antichrist, is a characteristic used to describe those who are simply Antichrist. Remember, there's a war going on. The struggle between God's forces and the forces who have chosen to reject God. Chosen. And therefore, have chosen to be on the side of the devil. Now, in the words of the famous bass player, philosopher, Getty Lee, who any middle-aged man in this room would recognize. Thank you for laughing. Uh, The philosopher from the rock group Rush sang a a, uh, song that said, if you decide not to choose, you still have made a choice. So in the act of omission, well, I'm not going to make a choice. You actually are making a choice. So now hold on there. Hold on. Hold on there, Andrew. Are you telling me that all those people who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are on the devil's side? You know, I thought and prayed a lot about that question this last week, in particular as I prepared for today. Because that's a hard hard message. And there are hard teachings found in the Bible which are given to us to shake us up. To get our attention. To stop us in our tracks. And cause us to think. Romans 1.20. Favorite verse says. That since the creation of the world. God's invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature. Have been clearly seen. Being clearly understood from what has been made. So that. Men. And women. Are without excuse. When we die the Bible says that. All people either saved. Or unsaved, Christians, non-believers will stand before Jesus Christ to receive judgment. And those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter into heaven. And those people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be without excuse. But they will not be spending eternity in heaven. They will have chosen to live apart from the Lord in hell. It's such an amazing thing for me that God, the omnipotent creator of all things we see around us, he allows us to make the choice whether to bow to him or not. He allows us mortals to make the decision whether to accept his offer of eternal life, to accept the gracious gift of salvation, the washing away of our sins, the payment of all of our transgressions through his suffering and death on the cross. He allows us to make the choice whether to join his team or to stay on the team of the enemy. Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty, very simple words. He who is not with me is against me. In this short passage of John's letter today, he describes the characteristics of the Antichrist. First in verse 22. The spirit of the Antichrist is built on a foundation of lies. 
You see, friends, the Bible says that God is truth. The words contained in the Bible describe this wonderful collection of God's words, which are true. The Bible says that God cannot lie. It is simply impossible for the one of truth to lie. But here we see how John answers his rhetorical question. So who is the liar? He answers, the liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man, says the Bible, is the Antichrist. Because he denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let me stop and give some historical context to where John was when he wrote these letters. There was a heretical philosophy rising in the Near East at the time. It's what we call today Gnosticism. Gnosticism is defined as a philosophy which says that all material things are essentially evil. The, uh, the, uh, um, that only the spirit is good. Gnostics despised the body. They believed that in the body was a spirit, like a seed trying to break out of dirty soil. Gnostics attempted to cause that seed, the spirit within them, to grow and try to get rid of the evil in the body. By the way, this belief system of Gnosticism has morphed over time to be more of a competing religion, actually, today. I distinctly remember sitting next to a young college-age woman about seven or eight years ago. I was flying somewhere. I don't remember where. And I might have used this story before, so forgive me. I think I might have used this story, so talk to my publisher. <laughs> After the short how do you do and the uh, annoying announcements about, you know, buckle your seatbelts and put on your, you know, really scary announcements actually. Put on your life preserver and all this stuff. When that was all finished and we had reached the stage in our seat partner relationship where it was established that that little three-inch armrest was fully hers between us i broke out my bible i often use flights to read my bible because it's usually without any interference so it's sort of my little monastic time to read and get focused in, in god's world well not on that flight because i suppose she noticed my little beat up travel bible that i was reading or maybe my elbow bumped her by accident but she wanted to talk so she hefts up onto her little tray a shopping bag from a bookstore containing books. And wouldn't you know it, little Miss Elbow Room had just purchased several books that she thought I'd be interested in. One of them was something about feminism. Not interested. But the other one was called the Gnostic Bible. And when during our brief sort of one-way conversation... It became clear to me that she wanted to acknowledge that both she and I were reading the Bible. And wasn't that cool? Like, you know. <laughs> now, it could have been the fact that maybe this was my fourth or fifth flight of the week. Or it was my 12-hour travel day. But I really wasn't in the mood to play all nicey-nice with my, with my now self-described compatriot sitting eight and a half inches from me. So fast forward the conversation. And by the time the plane landed, I came to find out that those Gnostics who are seeking the truth about God and all of his creation really are not. When I pointed out to her that I believed to be what I believed to be the errors of the book she was holding, it caused 
quite a chilly flight. Gnosticism was around when John wrote his letters. Indeed, it was one of the reasons why he brings up the Antichrist here in the second chapter. And Gnosticism or any hosts of non-belief or deception are around today as well. Again, listen to the news broadcast. Sit in most science classes in America today or scan the internet and you will quickly see that indeed there are many deceptions propagated on the topic of religion. So real quick, Sarah, if you can put up that slide. Here's one of my favorite deceptions that sometimes you see around town. I love reading bumper stickers. There are just not enough bumper stickers in the world anymore. So have you seen this bumper sticker? One of my favorite, and and I'm sure Mitchell would agree that it is, and I get real close and I want to read it. By the way, I'm not kidding. I got this from (laughs) hippie.com. And it says, if you can't read it, prophets help fight hunger fascism and social injustice so now whereas i of all people being born in a foreign land having lived a quarter of my life abroad attempt to speak four languages and love ethnic food very much i'm a great proponent of diversity and i believe that one of the reasons that the united states is the strongest country in god's green earth is because we have the ability to attract and assimilate the best people the world has to offer. So yes, we could coexist. Yes, we should respect and tolerate each other. And yes, if you were to have this bumper sticker on the back of your car in Benghazi, um, Kabul, Pyongyang, Manchester, Paris, you better hope your insurance is paid up because they would not be very tolerant to see this up there. On your car. You see the underlying message. You can take that down Sarah. Thank you. The underlying message that the owner of this car would want me to believe. Is that all religions are the same. All the gods with a small g. That are worshipped in these religions are really the same. Now that's a lie. As John says. The meaning of this message is a lie. As it seeks to deny the deity. The real true deity of our. Of the one true and living God. Who for the sake of specificity I will call Jesus Christ. All gods are not the same. All paths do not lead to the same destination. Christianity is exclusive. Jesus says simply in John fourteen six, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So the first descriptor of the Antichrist... Oh, I have another one. Can you put up that other slide? So, uh, about seven years ago, the NIV, New International Version, was changed. I did not get the memo. I did not get the memo until I started using a website to pull down for my classes, my middle school classes. Tough to read. Look at the reds. What they've done, and this is actually a group of scholars who have done this, they've gender neutralized i was thinking of a different word but they've taken out the word man men because sorry to say women think that that's oppressive so not only is it annoying for me when i try to get ready for class so here's the niv that we study today praise the lord that i have a lot of old nivs around the house this is the niv of today you look it up online that's what you're going to see 
Okay, so just beware, be aware that all those red words are different. Why do they need to change this? What is the purpose of this? So this is, this is a real pet peeve of mine. Because you know what? They didn't just change gender. They didn't. Look, well, I have material if you want to read. They, they changed serious, I think, doctrinal issues in, in the Word of God. So be aware. Right. So the first descriptor of the Antichrist, you can take that down. Thank you. Is that they lie. When they deny the Son or the Father. The second descriptor is that we are to expect that the Antichrist will seek to deceive the faithful. Like that. That is seeking to deceive the faithful. Or as he says, John says in verse 26, those who are, not trying, to, those who are trying to lead you astray. He describes them as being counterfeit in the next verse. Counterfeit. What a great word. Fake. Not real. They may seem nice on the outside. They may come to church regularly. They may make meals for the homeless. They may be the sweetest people you'd ever meet. But as Matthew 23 describes, these hypocrites and false teachers, they are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and all unclean, everything unclean. Satan is deploying his army to deceive the little children described in John's letter. Now, we're going to pause there. Why, why do you think John keeps using the word, the, the, the term little children? This is a metaphor for his young church that he's writing to. But it's also a metaphor for the young, less mature believer in any church. Paul similarly teaches that as our Christian walk progresses, we are to get off milk and to eat meat. We as Christians need to show maturity in the faith so that you can spot things like that. What am I reading? You need to have that maturity. Get off the baby bottle and get onto solid food. That solid food is the word of God. As our Christian walk continues, we need to mature and study the word for ourselves. Not on Sundays only. This is your job to study your Bible. Don't simply look at the words on the screen behind me. But bring your own Bible to church. Make notes in it. I have notes all through my Bibles. In your margin, underline what the Holy Spirit is telling you. But most importantly, bring your Bible so that you can make sure that there's no false teachers teaching you. I could teach you anything if I wanted to. I'm a pretty good salesman. You got you to gotta know. You need to filter it. Because you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not going to take you to heaven. Come on, let's go to heaven. Right? Come on. Oh, Jesus, this is Bill. Bill, this is Jesus. That's not it. You're going to stand there, and I'm going to stand there. I'm going to be on my knees, I can tell you right now, okay? I'm going to be laying down. But it's just, it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. In Ephesians 4, 14, Paul says that we are to strive to Christian maturity. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Oof, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Deceitful scheming. The stronger our faith, the better our knowledge of God's word, the less likely we are to be deceived by the Antichrist that Satan sows into our churches, into our governments, into our neighborhoods. The third description, John points out in verse 19, of those with the spirit of the Antichrist is that they will depart. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. 
but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Those with the spirit of the Antichrist will not stay in churches where the truths of God are taught. If you are opposed to God, if you believe in the lie that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, if you don't believe other key foundational doctrine of the Christian church, you will not stay in that assembly of believers for a long time. My experience is that those who come to church because they're dragged there or because that's the, that's the way they were raised will not over the long term stay within the Christian church because you have to make your own decision. You don't come to church because of mama or your wife or your husband. You come to church because we're worshiping God. This is not a club. Church is not something you go to just because that's what we do on Sundays. The Sabbath day is a special day appointed by God. We have the pleasure, the joy of worshiping the God of the universe. We are blessed to have the joy of giving and tithing to the works of God. We're sending a team next month to El Salvador to help people's lives, to save souls through your money, through God's money, through you. We come to church to read and to be challenged by the word. We come to church to strengthen as iron sharpens iron our relationship with other believers. And please don't get, rem- get me wrong. Because you, you see, we as Americans, we, we're consumers. That's our core. We're shoppers. When we choose a grocery store that we frequent or a restaurant or even a gas station, we make a choice based upon a number of consumer ideals. Does that suit me? Does it meet my needs? Do I have the offerings? Does it have the offerings that make my family happy? It's only natural that our consumer mentality, genetics, get applied to church shopping as well. Now that's fine, but at some point, look, you really have to choose a church. I know families who seem to be in continual church shopping mode. I suggest that at some point you come to the realization that any Christian church is going to have good and going to have not so good parts of it. Because guess what? This church, any church, true church, is full of sinners who are saved by grace. And we're not going to get everything right every week to make your life easier. And by the way, if you see a need or a service gap in particular, I was out there a couple weeks ago. We had like five women with little toddlers in the little cafeteria area. It was awesome that they were listening to the video Uh, played there, but it was like, hmm, what do we do about this? But look, if you see a need, talk to somebody about it. This is a church. You know, we are, we are a a family. We're a brethren here. So bring it to somebody's attention. So that's fine. Um, But look here, people also move physically. Okay. So I know people move from church to church because they move physically We've had a couple families move to foreign lands, like Springfield. No, 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 in Michigan. Now, we prayed for them, especially that last family. We keep in touch with them. And you know what? They joined in their very healthy new churches where they live. And that's the way it should be. Another population of seekers. Dana mentioned seeker-sensitive, which also gives me the heebie-jeebies. But they look around for churches. Now, this is, a, this, is, this is a scary thing. They look around for churches that meet their doctrinal needs. Well, I believe this. Well, I believe this. When I was a young Christian, I used to say that. And somebody slapped me on the head and said, well, what's the Bible say? 
So it's not what I believe, it's what the Bible says. But in the last days, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, that a time will come. Now, this is apropos to what Mr. Bird was talking about last week. A time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears, that's a great metaphor, itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, right? Rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit would have them learn, they spin the words of Scripture, if they use Scripture at all, to, this is how I feel. So I'm going to create my own little church. Today's sermon and the passage we're studying has perhaps made you uncomfortable. I don't know all of you here. There's some visitors here. Please come back. And it maybe has made you uh, squirm a little bit inside all this talk of the Antichrist. Our approach to studying the Bible at this church is that we have topical studies. Pastor did a great series on the heaven. But we also march through books of the Bible. We just finished one in Samuel. In this series, we're going through 1 John from beginning to end because we trust God's word. And we want to learn what God has to say. And how do we apply that to our lives? And sometimes we encounter tough passages like today. Now, sometimes entire churches or denominations get led by the power of the Antichrist. My experience in my youth with the Episcopal Church is an example over the years where truth became more and more fuzzy. As a young man, a teenager, I was even noticing this. I was an altar boy, so I I heard everything back there, right? Being closely aligned to the Catholic Church... We were not encouraged to read our Bibles. Don't worry, the preacher, he'll tell you what what you need to know. That's a problem. And by the way, their official Bible sat on the lectern, beautiful, you know, book, was the Apocryphal Bible, which contained 73 books of the Bible, not the Orthodox Bible that true Christian churches use. And the, the denomination's falling apart. I don't want to pick on them, but I know them. I still have relatives there. They were the first brave denomination to ordain a practicing homosexual bishop. Because of this and other deviations from the teaching of Scripture, churches have left. They said, we can't do this. People have left. Bible-believing churches have quit to join the Anglican church. They have enlisted a godly African archbishop. African. So... They can't find anybody in America. They have to go to Africa to get an archbishop. But they're running out of money. It's dreadful. And by the way, after all this hullabaloo, after the word ought that I put on your... uh, Hullabaloo is a great word. (laughs) After all this hullabaloo, this gay bishop who caused all this uproar, after going through treatment for his drug addiction, has now divorced his husband. So this is the spirit of the Antichrist at work, ripping a denomination apart. Empty churches, lawsuits. My dad's Long Beach church is being sued by the diocese to get the property. It's a beautiful church. Let's see, does it say something in the Bible about Christians suing Christians? So who gains from all this? Which team is real happy about all this struggle? My last point about this tragedy that occurs, when those who are raised in the church or have attended church for a long time 
Just simply stop attending any church at all. Now, that's frightening to me because it shows the true heart of the person where there is a complete and utter rejection of the word of God. I have friends, good friends, and I have good relatives who have chosen to live this way, and it breaks my heart, but it doesn't surprise me. It no longer surprises me. John says that we will know that it is the last hour because those influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist will depart from us, and this is true today. The Apostle John has taught us about things in the last days, about the fact that the sinful nature of, of the world is evidence that there is a war going on between God's forces of light and the devil's darkness and the deceitful ways of the agents of the devil, including those with the spirit of the Antichrist, attempting to deceive the faithful. But we're not going to end on a bad note because this is not the will of God. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. And you know what? I mentioned some really big ones, right, that made the front page. But I'm sure in your lives, this week we had some issues in my family. I'm sure in your lives you're going through some stuff. Because you know what? We're in a fallen world. You're a good Christian, perhaps. But you go through stuff because it is, it is an icky fallen world. There always has been bad stuff going on since the fall of man. Now, what a cruel God we would have if he were just to stop there. If his teaching was to simply lay out all of this evil in front of us and God would just shrug his shoulders. That's not the personality of God that I know. Of course, we're not going to stop there. This book, the Holy Bible, is called the Good News. The epic story of all the Bible points to good news. Even the writings of John who doesn't hold back. He's hardcore. He tells it like it is. He hits you right between the eyes. He gives evidence of the good news. So let me end up today by pointing out what God says about the other side of the battle. How he describes the army of the righteous, the army of God. First, in verse 17, John teaches that the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's pretty cool. In John's writings in the book of Revelation and through other books in the Bible like Ezekiel and Isaiah... The authors describe heaven that they witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Majestic, glorious, exciting. Can't wait to get there and worship forever. Can't wait to get there and ask the author what he meant on that one verse. Won't that be great? Where we'll never shed a tear, the Bible says. That would be great. The man, does the, the man who does the will of God, the Christian, lives forever. John also describes several times how the child of God, the believer in God, knows the truth. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ as Lord, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That your body, young ones, young teens, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says that you have an anointing from the Holy One and that you know the truth. When Jesus left the earth, he told us he was leaving for us the Holy Spirit who would act as our counselor while Jesus was away. The child of God knows the truth. John also says a true mark of a believer is perseverance, and we'll end on that. Verse 24, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you remains in you. Being saved, becoming a Christian, does not keep you away from all the evil in the world. Why not? 
Because until the Christian dies and goes to heaven or until the second coming of Christ, we're living in this world. The kingdom run by the enemy. There's a lot of evil in the world, but we as Christians are to persevere in our faith under the strain and toil that comes from living in a fallen world. One quick point about verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, says the man who just taught you for 30 minutes. So let me explain that real quick. John isn't saying that we don't need human teachers. That would conflict with the rest of the Bible. But that we don't need human teaching. You see the difference? Human teachers, human teaching, which doesn't come from the Bible. So we're not up here this morning to get a dose of what this sinner, saved by grace, wanted to talk about. And by the way, if I had my choice, I wouldn't be. I'd rather have Dana's slot last week than put him into this slot. But it wasn't my choice. We're going through God's word. Sometimes it's tough. Tough messages. But from a loving God. We believe in God's word. We love God's word. And we believe that it's inspired. It's inerrant. It's a true word of God. It's alive and active. Active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So we let the Holy Spirit guide us. And teach us from the scriptures God gave us. Not human teaching. And appropriately, John ends the passage stating once again that in this age we live in, the Christian mind must maintain a state of perseverance. Stay with him. Your one true love. Stay with Jesus. When the world seems overwhelming to me at times, I draw closer to God. I pray hard. I read his word. I listen to edifying Christian music. I turn off the talk radio. I share my fears and concerns with other believers. In a word, when the evil of the world gets me down, I persevere in the faith. My faith in the one true and living God who created us, who loves us, who took the whippings for us, who was spat on for us, who was punched for us, who was hung on a filthy cross between two sinners for us. I should be on that cross. I know who I am. I should be on that cross. But he took that penalty for us, for me. Because he loves you. And he wants us to draw closer to him. 